Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Marvel does for comic book movie podcasts that record the day before the release of their major trailers. Why you... I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Defeated pitch segment person, Seb Patrick. <laughs> and James Hunt. Uh, we'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Alan Taylor's 2013 movie, Thor The Dark World. But before any of that, I, I sometimes I like to ask Seven James to explain to me a comic book concept that I don't understand, but then I started to know so much about comic books that it, it became pointless, so I challenged them to tell me something that I didn't know. This week, I think it's pointless. I think there's nothing I could ask them Thor The Dark World related that I, that I, you know, would sneak past me. So instead, I'm going to ask you guys, how do you get from Charing Cross to Greenwich in three stops? <laughs> right. You take well. the Thames Clipper. <laughs> oh, you guys. Uh, but, but, the Thames right. Clipper is a revelation, by the way. What a, I, I was in oh, London right. the other week, and oh, what a, what a ride. What a smooth I, ride. I, I used to live on the Isle of Dogs, um, so when there were tube strikes or the tubes were otherwise knackered, my way to commute would be to get on the Thames Clipper. And it was The only reason I didn't do it every day was that you can't do it on a travel card. It does cost you three quid a pop. But if it was on a travel card, I would have done it I think every you day. Can, I think you can now get like monthly passes for the... Uh, yeah, but it's still expensive. You've got to get the tube as well. It is, but um, you feel like James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, us three ex-Londoners here, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the thing is, the, the question isn't just how do you get there in three stops? Because, that I mean, that is impossible. There, There is no way to get from to any point in Greenwich from Charing Cross in three stops or even anything. Or even on one line. Right. Well, yeah. The, the thing is, you, you, I, I, what I've tried to figure out is if you can make it work that he can get to Greenwich and the statement "stay on this train three stops" is still true, but there are just more instructions after that. <laughs> so if you assume that you are on a train at Charing Cross Station, uh, where can you go three stops to then get to Greenwich? I mean, the answer, the answer there is there's lots of different ways. Um, because, you know, if you only go three stops somewhere, you can still keep changing lines and get there eventually. But we have to assume that when she said go three stops and not say go two stops, that it was therefore the best way to do it. So we can't just say, how do you do it going three stops? We have to say, how do you do it where going three stops would get you somewhere where you would quickly then 
get to Greenwich. Mornington Crescent. <laughs> Thornington Crescent. <laughs> Uh, Now, this whole thing is also complicated by the fact that this scene was filmed at the disused Jubilee Line platform at Charing Cross Station that's frequently used for filming, also seen in Skyfall. Charing Cross is not on the Jubilee Line anymore, but used to be. But that is clearly a Jubilee Line-style train. Actually, no, it's an older-style train, but, um, you know, it's it's the Jubilee Line platform at Charing Cross that they're on. Um, So... I've looked at different ways you can go three stops from Charing Cross on the existing lines. Charing Cross is only on the Northern and Bakerloo. Um, If you go south on either the Northern or Bakerloo, it would be great if she'd said two stops because she could have been saying go to Waterloo and then get the Jubilee line. Uh, Now, some people might look at a map and go without knowing that area of London and say, oh, the Jubilee line goes to North Greenwich. North Greenwich is not Greenwich. Uh, North Greenwich only exists to serve the O2 Arena and is a patch, otherwise a patch of wasteland, and is nowhere near the actual Greenwich that they are in um, during the closing scenes of Thor: The Dark World. That Where used to be my to get... uh, local cinema, by the way. I used to I used to go down to the O2 to watch films at the Cineworld in the O2. What what a local <laughs> cinema to have! It was fantastic. Yeah. So Greenwich itself is not on the tube. Uh, it's on the DLR at either Cutty Sark or Greenwich, or it's on uh, the TFL Rail uh, overground trains uh, at Greenwich Station itself. And Seb, they're going to the Royal Naval College, which I really think you should be getting off at Cutty Sark. You should be getting off at Cutty Sark, but I can forgive them Greenwich, and you'll you'll see in a short while why I will forgive them Greenwich. But really, they should be going Cutty Sark. So simply put, the best way to get to Greenwich from Charing Cross is to go two stops down to Waterloo, get the Jubilee Line to Canary wharf change onto the dlr at canary wharf or heron keys because heron keys is actually closer to the jubilee line platforms than canary wharf dlr station is but let's not get into that one and go down to cutty sark on the dlr that's not what she's telling him to do though because she says go three stops and if you go three stops south from charing cross if you're on the baker loo <laughs> uh you are at lambeth north which doesn't interchange with anything and if you go three stops down on the northern line you're at kennington which also doesn't interchange with anything if you go three stops north on the northern line you're at Goode street which doesn't interchange with anything. And if you go three stops north on the Bakerloo line, you're at Regent's Park, which, guess what, doesn't interchange with anything. So it's impossible to go three stops from Charing Cross and change for a train that would take you somewhere else. So here's how... the Well, there's there's two answers to this. One, they didn't fucking bother to actually look at a tube map before writing the script. Correct. Or two... The Marvel Cinematic Universe is in a parallel universe where when the Jubilee line was extended um, to go out to East London because it used to terminate at Charing Cross, instead of diverting at Green Park and going down to Westminster and Waterloo, they carried it down from Charing Cross to Waterloo. Um, So that being the case... um, you the I still don't think the three stops thing were... Oh, no... uh, there is a way you can go basically to get to. I had this worked out, and I think I've already lost it because I've, I've talked myself into a corner. Basically, I'm so glad we spent all this time on this. Uh, no, it does. How about no, it does. you go right. south no, no, three no, stops no, to Kennington, change onto the other northern line, go I've to London it. Bridge. Cut out, cut out the bit where I didn't, where I didn't not get it. No. Uh, <laughs> actually, yeah, go down no. to Kennington and go back up to London Bridge, or the the Jubilee line goes from Charing Cross to straight down to Waterloo and then Southwark and then London Bridge. That was what my theory was. It skips out embankment altogether. It goes straight from Charing Cross to Waterloo, then to Southwark, then to London Bridge, and then you can get the train to Greenwich. And we just cut out the bit of the film where she said, get on a train to Greenwich. If if they were on an overground train, they could just go from Charing Cross straight to 
uh, Greenwich, assuming a couple of stations were closed, and it would be three stops. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the, yeah, because the one, no, yeah, the ones from London Bridge. Is it the ones from London Bridge, or is it a different line that goes from Charing Cross out to quite Charing a few Cross? Go Charing Cross goes to London Bridge. Yeah. What is happening? So Charing Cross to London Bridge. Bridge to Greenwich. Is anyone still listening? Look, I've been right. waiting years to get to. It's the only interesting thing about this film, and we haven't even got onto the film discussion yet. All I'm saying is that you felt the need to apologise for our minisode last week. <laughs> a week later i think we might be having to issue an even bigger apology it should be said though we all i imagine saw this movie if not at screenings in london but like very like shortly after release in london and yeah the it was all anyone was talking about london (laughs) film twitter was obsessed (laughs) with this gaff and this had come off the back of um sir ben's little um little nods to <laughs> London and the UK Iron in, in Iron Man yeah. 3. So, like, we were really feeling pandered to at this point. And yeah. for them to get something this badly wrong. It sh- I should should say, though, Greenwich, one of the loveliest places in all of the world. And so, yes. for all of the... Yeah, that's the why they haven't got sins, a tube stop there, because they don't want anyone else going. <laughs> yeah, if it had a tube station, it wouldn't be as lovely as it is. The DLR's um, great, though. It's like being driven around by robots. Mm-hmm. Yep, you can pretend to drive the train. Yes. Yep. Lived there for three years and did it every day. <laughs> um, no, but the, I, I've got to say, I don't even think the tube map stuff is the worst bit of London travel nonsense in Thor's Dark World. <laughs> no. The worst bit is when there's no traffic when Darcy is driving through central London. <laughs> that that is, a, that is a thing that I think um, recently anyone from Seoul said about Black Panther. Um, and I still remember vividly because it probably came out around the same time as this movie or a year or two apart in Fast and Furious 6 there is a scene where they have a street race um, around Piccadilly Circus and down to Horse Guards Parade and there is no <laughs> Is it a street there. race on foot? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not for the movie Yeah, they, they, they either start or end at Horse Guards Parade Oh no, that's it They go Horse Guards Parade Around Piccadilly Circus and then uh, drive down to Battersea uh, Power Station, I believe. Um, it's, yeah, it's not great. But I think you can forgive them because it's only people who have been regularly to or live in the city that actually care, which is why most of our listeners have skipped ahead and we definitely need to give the time codes to our listeners so they can (laughs) skip that section if they so please. Uh, But yes, they don't get to skip you singing. They they certainly don't get to skip that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that might if they still did them, I think that would have won as a Sony gold. I'm I'm genuinely interested, though, because I think... um, you know, we, uh, as you say, because it doesn't usually happen, um, like London film and British film uh, critics generally get excited when you get geographical British stuff in films so that we can pick them apart. And, you know, this goes back to um, uh, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood walking from the East Coast to Nottingham in about 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, we like that. Um, because we enjoy the opportunity to go, ha they got this wrong, and show off our knowledge, as I've just done, because I'm a total tube nerd and a tube map nerd. <laughs> and because we cut but... out the bit where you got yourself confused. No, <laughs> no, no, we no, didn't. Not being, I know, it's not being cut out. <laughs> uh, but, um, like, does this happen all the time with films yes. set in America, and Americans yeah. just yeah, ignore it? Yeah, like, they just I, I, don't get as obsessed about it as we I'm do. I'm a big fan of the Dark Tower books, and there's something in the intro to, I think, the second book, or maybe the sixth, uh, but one of the ones that takes place largely in New York. 
And Stephen King says in the intro, he's like, look, occasionally I've taken some liberties with New York, um, like, uh, geography and like uh, so I apologise to the New Yorkers who are immediately going to go that street isn't two blocks away from that street but like just sometimes to make things work I had to do it so yeah I, I, think, I think it happens think with every city thing about ever. about Thor because it's not like a Skyfall situation where um, you know for the for the for the plot to work, it, that he has to be on the tube line that goes by the Houses of Parliament, and there has um, to be and there has to be no little bumps in the middle of the escalator, so he can slide yeah. down on his bump. <laughs> um, and the but the only type of tube train that they have available to shoot those type of scenes with are the deep level ones at the abandoned platforms, and that's not the same type as the district line. So I can forgive that because that's working around the limitations of what they've got to shoot with. The problem with Thor is that it's so avoidable because. <laughs> You know, all they've done is they've just made something up, and it's not like saying something slightly. T- the joke is funny. The joke works. How do you know he's landed on a train? How do I get to Greenwich? You know, just either dress the station with signs of a station <laughs> that's actually three stops away, or just have her say something else. You know, it, it, I think it's just it's just the fact that it's it's so definitively suggests that Charing Cross is three stops away from Greenwich. Without bothering to think that people, that a lot of people would go. But I say a lot of people, a few nerds on the internet would go, "Oh, hang on, that's wrong." So that's as I say, it's, it doesn't feel like they're constrained by anything other than laziness. Are you are you one. suggesting that Alan Taylor is not the detail-oriented genius that he initially well, appeared to be? Let's let's talk about Alan Taylor later because I do have yes. a compliment to pay Sorry, him, who? but it's not in Alan relation who? to this film. <laughs> Let's move on. You're listening to Three Nerds on the Internet. This is Cinematic Universe. Um, we will move on to this week's comic book movie. Uh, just comic book movie news. It's weird this that we're doing the news ish. after we've discussed everything that there is to discuss about the movie. Like we're doing the movie first and then the news at the end. That's, that's weird. Right. Uh, what we're going to save until the end of the news is the the biggest piece of news. Um, you'll see why. Um, and instead, we'll go with I, I think the most eclectic, bizarre news week that I can remember as having on Cinematic ooh, ooh, Universe. Ooh. Are we are we going to do Nightwatch? We are going to start <laughs> with Nightwatch. So I could enjoy this one. Though. In development at Sony <laughs> is a Nightwatch movie, which is <laughs> which is part of Sony's. Um, side <laughs> the universe. So uh, this is the universe that Venom will take place in, which Silver and Black is expected to take place in. And yet, yeah, then Nightwatch. <laughs> um, there is a script expected that is to be- take place in by whom exactly? Um, by the people who no, I don't. Know. By the people who think they're going to make it. Yes. Um, Chihadari Koka, who is the showrunner of Luke Cage, has written a script for this, and Spike Lee is in talks to direct. Um, I- I'm beginning to think, like, again, like with Silver and Black, I'm gonna beginning to think that these probably going to happen because I think that they've got, like, a, a, like a minuscule amount of budget compared to the other stuff. And I think they're just, like, I think Sony are viewing them as just, like, another Sony movie that they can kind of say is happening in this universe. Like, I can't imagine that Spike Lee's getting involved for a movie, like... For a movie that he doesn't think is actually going to happen, I, I I just I like I'm not sure why they're making a Nightwatch movie, but I I think they are. <laughs> James, I mean, you... I think they think they are. <laughs> so tell just... us about Nightwatch, James. Yeah, so why, why is it Nightwatch? Because why, even why I is it quite so ridiculous? <laughs> so Nightwatch is a guy 
who uh, he his superpower type thing is that he's got a high tech suit, but so he's Iron Man. Well, no, because this high tech suit he stole off a corpse that turned out to be himself from the future. Right. And also, it doesn't look high tech. It looks almost exactly like Spawn. <laughs> and this character debuted about three months after Spawn. And as I told someone on Twitter, it's clearly like someone's idea of a joke that Marvel created their own version of a Spawn three months after the actual Spawn came out. But Spawn has had a movie already, has another movie in development, so why wouldn't there be Well, one Spawn has a concept that works. And like, I won't go into it now, because one day we'll actually watch Spawn. But and, Na- and Nightwatch does not. Nightwatch's gimmick is that he looks like he came from hell, but he's actually wearing a high-tech suit from the future. Like, it's just fucking stupid. To make Nightwatch work, you would have to change so much that you might as well just create an original character and be like, why waste ourselves time, right? Why waste our time tying into this piece of garbage IP? Without wanting to be too reductive, is it crazy to think that Sony have looked at the success of Black Panther and have gone, which black character do we actually earn their rights for? The only re- the only reason I think they haven't done that is because apparently the script is already written. So clearly someone went, okay, I'm going to write this movie long before Black Panther was a success or failure. No, but this could be the thing that gets it into development. It could and also, be the thing that gets it made, for sure. You know, we, we know that Marvel kind of at, at, at times had like an open pitch policy where it was almost like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like if you've got an idea for Guardians of the Galaxy, show us the scripts and if it works, we'll make it. But if it, if, <laughs> if it doesn't, we won't. I mean, the thing is, right, Che Okoka is one of the few people I've met as part of, like, doing press junkets and stuff, who was an actual comics fanboy. Like, I can fully believe that in the 90s or whatever, he bought himself a comic that had Nightwatch in, and he was like, oh, a black superhero, like, this guy is cool, and now he's in a position to write the movie, that's what he's done. I can totally believe that. (laughs) I just... I can't see why they would make this if when they could just call him like you know cloak man and <laughs> keep all the rights like there's no reason to attach this to a spider-man character because he has less than negative recognition with the public i mean my, my only recognition comes from the fact that his name makes me think instead of night fist from the garth ellis and john mccray hitman <laughs> series uh from that fantastic hitman cover that has a picture of Night Fist with the caption, Night Fist, he will hit you with his fist. Yes. Uh, and he's a bloke in a silver costume with massive giant metal fists um, who takes down drug dealers but then steals the drugs and sells them himself uh, and ends up getting brutally murdered. And it's like, hilarious. Honestly, the only people I think are getting excited about this are people at Marvel going, ooh, we can make a Nightwatch collection and, and some money off the character for the first time ever. And you, James, you, you got excited on Twitter. <laughs> Excited is one word. Terry Kavanagh might be excited. It's probably, you know... um... Noted Jobsworth Terry Kavanagh. I was going to say, it's probably anything that he's actually created that would (laughs) ever stand a chance of... uh, He did a whole run on X-Men, I'll have you know. Yeah, but he didn't create X-Men. I'm sure he created characters like probably 3NOD. I don't know. There are a lot of bad characters in that comic. (laughs) From my perspective, I just find this interesting that Spike Lee is attached. Um... There's, there's got to be something there he's interested in. Cause, and, and Spike Lee has kind of had... 
an up and down career in terms of like how high profile or how well funded his movies are but you know like where we're what a couple of years removed from Chirac being really critically acclaimed he's got she's got to have it on Netflix which um I believe has done really well um he's got Black Landsman coming out later this year uh which has it's got a pretty interesting cast and it's looking Adam Driver, Topher Grace, Laura Harrier, uh, Corey Hawkins. It, 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 I'm interested that he has attached himself to this. And obviously in Chirahadari Koka, they've got someone who's already found some degree of success writing a black superhero for Marvel. Um, and as you said, James, like knows what he's doing around this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I find it interesting <laughs> that the. I. I find it interesting that a movie exists f- from those creators. Um, the facts that I've never heard of and don't really care about the the superhero in the middle of it doesn't really matter to me because I almost think when you've got characters that are this obscure, it's just a piece of IP, isn't it? Well, that's. This is my point, though, is that there's no reason for this character to be attached to an existing piece of ip because what do they gain from it like he's he's literally as bad as no one they gain the marvel name at the front of their movie the same way that i mean like james you know there's there's so many things that that got made in the past five or ten years because they have some vague amount of name recognition either they were a cartoon or they were like a toy or they were like a low-watched or mediumly watched show in the in the late eighties. Yeah, I guess Twenty One Jump Street turned out alright. Yes, I mean that's that's a great a great example where still, like a... still waiting for the Visionaries movie though. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, let's let's wait and see whether that actually gets made. Um, but yeah, like I say, interested in the talent attached. Um, speaking of name recognition, though. Um, the Valiant Universe has got someone who certainly has a name. Um, <laughs> in fact, he has a name that would probably make sense as a Valiant character. Um, Vin Diesel has signed on for the Bloodshot movie, which is apparently still happening and is viewed as something that is going to launch the Valiant Universe on screens. That, that, you know, like we're going to have Bloodshot at the center of it, but you're probably also going to get cameos from a bunch of other Valiant characters with and I it spinning them off uh, into all of their own movies. I just but, feel tired, Joe. I mean, I still... I, I, whenever I look at a Valiant character... <laughs> Sorry, and, character. A Valiant character, you say. <laughs> and whenever whenever I hear kind of like the concepts of one of, 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 one of those characters, I just... I, I struggle to see how they're going to pitch it in a way that people will care. Because there, there isn't really, you know... Was anyone watching cartoons as a kid of these characters, you know, or, or like, were they playing with Valiant action figures? Or is it literally just people who know comics know Valiant, whether they read it or not? And outside of that, I'd never heard of any of these. And so when you say to me a Bloodshot movie, I go, what is that? And this is one of, this is one of those things where I think, you know, like... At least with a Nightwatch movie, you can put the Marvel logo in front of it. With a Bloodshot movie, <laughs> you put the Va- Valiant logo in front of it, and no one knows what the fuck that means. The problem with Bloodshot as well is that his 
his whole power set is like the most generic sci-fi bullshit. Like if I told you that this movie where a guy like he used to be in the army and he got some nanites in his blood and now he can do like superpower stuff. And it's like, if I told you that was a 1992 film with Jean-Claude Van Damme in, that, that's, go, of course it Yes, is. that's exactly what I think of when I see these. And I think of like, uh, I think of basically, are you someone who has been in an, in, in an Expendables movie? I would expect you to star in this film. Like <laughs> I, I expect to see a Jason Statham or a Dolph Lundgren, you know? Um, and Vin Diesel, I think, is one step away from that. He is that, but just still with real box office clout. Because of the box office cred, yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. And, and like, there are some, uh, you know, you would be tempted to say, oh, he's nothing away from the Fast and Furious franchise until Triple X comes back and makes all of the money. And you're like, shit, okay, I guess people do care about Vin Diesel. <laughs> so he is undoubtedly an action star. The only thing I can think is that this is a comic book universe that doesn't pitch itself towards your standard comic book fan and instead goes after after your action movie fans instead. I I reckon the thing that could make the Valiant movies work that Marvel and DC can't do is if they just go full R-rated. Yeah, and again, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, especially for someone like Bloodshot, who is, like, you know, the clue's in the name, right? He has itchy eyes. Yeah, poor, poor eyesight. <laughs> Seb, anything to add to Bloodshot? <laughs> it does sound like another made-up god. It sounds like a tick character, doesn't it? 90s. Yeah, yes. it does sound like a tick character. What, so what's you, the Punisher guy? Give us, give us a comic about Overkill. Overkill, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you told me that there was a crossover movie with Nightwatch, Bloodshot and Overkill... That would make complete sense to me. <laughs> but you would, if you didn't already know, you'd struggle to to identify which one had been made up for a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd, I'd, let's seamlessly link in the third piece of news here. As I said, the most bonkers week for news ever. Um, Rob Liefeld's Extreme Universe is no, coming to Netflix. Why? Jesus Christ! <laughs> What's happening? Right, and, and right. I'll bring it back because I know listeners listeners miss it. Um. Can you explain to me this comic book concept that as a movie fan, I just don't understand. What, what the concept of Rob Liefeld's career? <laughs> I mean, the extreme... What? What? What is the extreme universe? Because, again, that, that name I mean, sounds like a parody. You know, Look, you know enough about Rob Liefeld by now and, and who he is and what his work is like. Yeah. What do you think a universe created by Rob Liefeld called the Extreme Universe is like. I imagine... Because whatever you're picturing in your head right now <laughs> is, is almost I... certainly correct. Right, so what I'm picturing is like something kind of like sub-early 90s X-Men crossed with Kick-Ass 2. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, actually, that's so close. There is sort of a something relevant... Well, not relevant, but something that did become... Uh, is um or am I? Is it not part of that? Basically, James, is Supreme part of this or not? I I'm not sure if he's part of the deal. Uh, uh, let me tell you, the I deal involves a number of Liefeld's image comics creations, including Brigade, Bloodstrike, Cybrid, Lethal, Rejects, Bloodwolf, Battlestone, Baboom, and Nitrogen. Uh, noticeably absent I was are some say, creations, I... including Youngblood, Glory, and Supreme. Uh, 
Yeah, so, so basically, basically all his famous the three, stuff. Yeah, basically the three remotely good things from but although, Extreme. Let's, let, let's be clear, Su- Supreme was not good because of Rob Liefeld. Yeah. Uh, Rob Liefeld created Supreme to basically be a violent um, uh, take on Superman. Um, you know, a really sort of, a, a kind of nasty, violent Rob Liefeldish version of Superman, and then somehow, I'm not entirely sure how he persuaded Alan Moore to come and write it, uh, and Alan Moore basically said, "This is shit. I'm throwing out everything you've done except the design," and turned it into a, a kind of tribute to Silver Age Superman. And suddenly, and it it's really good. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Because it's because it's Alan Moore doing unashamedly heroic light stuff without and just keeping all of the kind of dark stuff that he was famed for having brought into stuff in the eighties completely at arm's length from it. So, um, so the, the stuff that's actually in here, though, like what what is it going to be? Because I mean, it sounds nuts to me. Apparently, Liefeld has signed a seven-figure deal with Netflix to adapt the properties into feature films. Not a feature film, feature films. And get this, if this couldn't sound worse, the writer's room is going to be overlooked by Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> Akiva <laughs> Goldsman. Hey, that's Oscar-winning screenwriter Akiva Goldsman, I'll have you know. <laughs> I mean, like... <sighs> I mean, if anyone doesn't know... Akiva Goldsman. I'm just going to read through his um, his most recent writing credits. Uh, the Dark Tower, Transformers The Last Night, Rings, The Fifth Wave, Insurgent. I'm going to read them all. A New York Winter's Tale, Angels and Demons, I Am Legend, The Da Vinci Code, Cinderella Man, I, Robot, The Beautiful Mind, Practical Magic, Lost in Space, Batman and Robin, A Time to Kill, <laughs> Batman Forever, Silent Fall and The Client. Um, some of the most truly awful movies to be released in cinemas. Um, I, I, and I mean, I'm still personally offended that the man wrote The Dark Tower. Now, the thing is... How do you think I feel about him doing two Batman films? (laughs) The problem is, when you hear him talk, he seems like quite a lovely man. And like, A New York Winter's Tale is kind of like... I remember hearing him talk about that movie and like the personal reasons behind his screenplay there, which I won't go into. He also directed that. Um, it was quite touching, and I, I like so I don't hate the guy. It's just he's kind of synonymous with things that are bad in Hollywood. Yeah, and <laughs> so you mix him with this, but hey, maybe it's like two negatives. Who's synonymous with things that are bad in comics? <laughs> to be fair, right, I think there's one thing that tells us that the that these movies could actually be good because they are movies that are going to be originally on Netflix. <laughs> and as we have seen recently, uh, oh, yeah. I'm not counting Annihilation because that's not a Netflix original. That was just Netflix in the UK. Yeah, I want... <laughs> that I, that I, doesn't I, get to tip the balance. Update on whether Joe has seen Mute yet. Joe has seen Mute. It was not good. <laughs> Uh, we should do a podcast about mute. Oh god! We could try um, and understand a single thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> if your if your movie's gone mute, it shouldn't feature the first half hour with just scenes of exposition where people explain things out loud. 
<laughs> you don't have to make up for the silence of one character not talking with the other character talking all the way through the scene. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a rough movie. Hey, that was mute mute corner. Um, so yeah, Extreme Universe at Netflix. That's going That'll to happen. Be something to avoid. And hey, that's that's another thing as well. I think whenever whenever Netflix starts working on one of these things, y- you can safely assume it is going to happen because. Like they just want content. They've got all the money. They've got all the money. It all. They want content, and there isn't much quality control. So, yeah. Just even the names of these things, like Blood Blood Strike and Blood Wolf. <laughs> well, you know, and, one, and, one and strikes and, and the other wolves. We've also got Young Blood, who obviously isn't part of these rights, but yeah. <sighs> That's the surprising thing, though. It's like Young Blood is arguably Rob Liefeld's one, like actual concept that he came up with and that was sort of... And that isn't just a rip-off of an existing concept. Well, well it's kind of X-Force. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, arguably, he's the one who made X-Force popular anyway. So you can sort of forgive him just ripping off his own idea and doing it slightly differently. Cut, cut to 15 years from now and we're sat on the podcast going, God, if only Amazon and Netflix can figure out how to bring... Youngblood into the Netflix <laughs> Extreme Universe. Finally, we'll get to see all these characters together. I mean, ah, oh, wasn't it great in event in Avengers Six when Wolverine finally showed up? We could have that on Netflix as well. <laughs> so yes, Extreme Universe is coming to Netflix. Um, our final piece of comic book movie news. Um, we're gonna struggle with slightly, so we're gonna attack this in an interesting way. As we alluded to at the start of the podcast, um, we record our podcast on a Thursday night because that's when we can all get together uh, to do the pod. So that, that's what we're doing now. Uh, Marvel have already said that the trailer for Avengers Infinity War is coming online on Friday. So listeners, you'll have all seen it. You'll know what's happened. So we're going to talk about the trailer um, because we, we, we've... Had a sneak preview into the future, right, guys? We yeah, we, we, we complained about it on Twitter. So so because I, I told them we were recording our podcast, and they said, "Oh, okay." They they sent me a DM and said, "Here you go, you can watch it now." And they were like, um, "You know, the Mar- you you have kept cashing those Marvel checks. Thanks yeah. for doing that." Um, well, actually, know. it was because do you remember when that when um, the February check bounced? Um, yeah, they did always so, one for that. Yeah, this was basically as as compensation for that. Yeah. So uh, I'll so, tell yeah, you my, I, my favorite bit. Finally seeing Hawkeye was... Well, I just couldn't believe that Hawkeye had the Infinity Gauntlet with the Infinity Stones. I just I just really didn't see that coming at all. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised that they've given it away this early, um, that Hawkeye is actually the villain of the next film, and that the reason that they haven't revealed the title is that it's Infinity Hawkeye. Um, but, you know, fair play. What I want to know is, if you're going to kill off Mantis, like, why put it in the start of the trailer? <laughs> that's, that's really just to appease those who said she shouldn't be in the film, by which yeah. I mean you... Yeah, I didn't say she um, shouldn't be. I just said I was surprised she was. <laughs> I was also um, really surprised um, that we saw like four different Spider-Man costumes, and that one of them was the Amazing Bagman. Um, you know. Okay, um, I, 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 I'm going to break with this joke. I want to, I want to predict a couple of things. I actually think are going to show up in the trailer, and then if like I'll sound really clever if people are or really stupid, depending on whether they do or not. Um, we were just saying before the podcast, we'd forgotten that Peter Dinklage was in Avengers Infinity War, uh, presumably playing Pip the Troll. I think we're going to see him. Uh, I do think we're going to see Hawkeye. And the other thing is, 
Um, the Black Order. So we've got what Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, Ebony Moor, and Black Dwarf. Um, there was a hint that all of those characters might be getting like real high-profile voice performances, um, a la Rocket and Groot. Um, I think we're going to hear some of those as well in the trailer. Is there anything you guys want to seriously predict? More, more Wakandans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't feel confident staking any. Like, I just kind of don't want to see it at all because it was just going to spoil things at this point. I want to see every little detail I can see. I'm so. I'm that this. This is like crack to me right now. I'm reading everything about this movie. I am in full on like nerd excitement mode. Okay, so that was our reckless speculation about the um, Infinity War trailer. Uh, I hope you liked it, you guys. Um, But now we're going to move on to our spoiler-filled discussion of a much earlier film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, back when things were a lot more simpler and innocent. We are going to journey back to Thor The Dark World. Oh. Oh, we've got breaking news. (gasps) Ava DuVernay is closing a deal with Warner Brothers and DC to direct a big-budget screen adaptation of The New Gods. Uh, We're going to have to do that now, aren't we? (laughs) We are going to have to do that. Are they trying to, like, physically break me? Are they like, (laughs) look, we know you thought the characters we were talking about before were dull. (laughs) I right okay. Um, I we we could like cut that in, or we could just start from where Seb said what the news was and told us, and <laughs> go from there. Which I think is a great one to do. So, listeners, peek behind the curtain. This section of the podcast <laughs> is during our drinks be- break, where we go off and get beers. <laughs> Seb has seen some breaking news on the internet, and we're just deciding to roll with it. Um, Ava DuVernay, uh, who obviously um, has, has is just coming off a wrinkle in time, uh, yeah, is on board to direct the new gods at Warner Brothers as part of the studio's DC Extended Universe. I mean, Steppenwolf's coming back then, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I somehow have a feeling that, that they probably won't mention him. I hope everyone likes boom tubes. Um, to be honest, I'm I, I'm in a quite pro New Gods mood at the moment because uh, another issue of um, Tom King's uh, Mister Miracle came out yesterday. I only picked it up today, um, and it was really good. Uh, it was about the birth of of Scott and Big Barda's son, uh, surprisingly. So Big uh, Barda, there's a character name. Big okay. Barda's a fucking awesome character. Terrible name, but honestly, one of the one of DC's best characters. I'm reading on Variety right now that the new gods are native of the twin planets of New Genesis and Apocalypse. Uh, new Genesis is an idyllic planet ruled by the High Father, while Apocalypse is a ruined dystopia filled with machinery and fire pits and is ruled by the tyrant Darkseid. New Genesis yeah, and Apocalypse we, in, call in themselves fairness, gods. We've talked about them before. It's, it's what Jack Kirby did when he went over to DC. Yeah, and DC basically to said, said to him, do what you want. And is this yeah, there? In, is this there in humans? Is that a good parallel? Or is <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. But, um, but I. But think about. It, I don't find the new god stuff in and of itself particularly interesting. But interesting stuff has come out of it, and and Mister Miracle and Big Barda as additions to the wider DC universe 
I love and they're great. Um, but I'm not interested in what they do when they go back to New Genesis or Apocalypse. Um, you know, the only time really that you know of the stuff Grant Morrison was doing for DC in the 2000s where he kind of lost me was Final Crisis because it was about the new gods and the murder of the new gods and it's just oh I don't care but but I think there's lots of potential for a movie there let's um, let's look at the Ava DuVernay side of it so obviously she well yeah that's that's what makes this really interesting from from a film <laughs> side of things she's directed Selma which was great nominated lots of Oscars uh, she directed the 13th which uh, or just 13th which was a Netflix documentary which I believe was also nominated for best documentary at the Oscars um and I think only lost out to the OJ Simpson doc which was incredible uh, and then has had a wrinkle in time coming out which early buzz on is kind of like flawed but very interesting um and she famously turned down black panther uh or it was kind of like in like very early talks with marvel about black panther and kind of decided that it wasn't for her because she didn't think she'd get to make the movie she was going to make uh, or she wanted to make i wonder whether she's looked at what ryan coogler was able to achieve and gone hmm maybe i could do a movie like this also think it's interesting that if you if you take into account uh wonder woman 2 um if this happens dc will have three of their superhero films directed by women and marvel uh a half (laughs) what's what are you counting as the half anna bowden directed yeah captain marvel captain marvel okay right yeah, yeah, well, I I just keep forgetting when that's actually going to come out. <laughs> it's <laughs> it filming keep, now. It seems to be yeah, no, but it seems to be ages away. Um, yeah, okay, <laughs> half yeah. then. Yeah, half. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, fair play to DC, and I think what might be crucial here is that Ava DuVernay famously started off in um, public relations. Um, she was a publicist, um, and that that is kind of like her history before moving into filmmaking and if there's one thing that dc the tcu really needs it's someone to do a decent pr job so (laughs) maybe they've you know two birds with one stone in terms of this particular movie um do we think it's going to happen it's got as much chance as anything happening from dc at this point right my attitude would be (laughs) what turns up first gambit or the new gods Probably the new the gods. New Gambit's, gods. Gambit's not happening now. Yeah. We know Gambit's not happening now. <laughs> okay, let's return to our scheduled programming. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness. I gave you my word. I would return. What's gonna happen? Alone. Wait, what? Jane! We're from different worlds. separate for a reason. If we do nothing, they'll destroy us. 
I will kill you. When do we start? Okay, so that was the trailer for Thor The Dark World. Um, this is a movie. Is it? It's, it's a movie that's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It came after Iron Man 3 and before The Winter Soldier. Um, that doesn't make it look any better, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and it has a post credit sting setting up uh, a much better film to follow as well. All yeah. all that this film did was make me go, God, I can't wait for 2014. My, I... One of my favourite things about that post-credit scene is that Alan Taylor so readily dismissed oh, he, the idea he that he hated it, didn't it. he? Yeah, he yeah. hated it. Hated the fact that that had been filmed. He was like, no, I did not direct that segment. And it was like, oh, because that's the one reason people might rewatch this film. Okay, so so right right at the start, you were talking about Alan Taylor, and I I would like to make a point about Alan Taylor because I, I the name is he's not a name that I recognise, and I, I was I was initially thinking about him in terms of the person who doesn't exist who directed Spider Man Homecoming, whose name I can't even remember. John Watts, John something, yeah. Um, but Alan Taylor directed. Now I know directors aren't usually as important on TV unless they're Rachel Talalay. Uh. Um, but John, but uh, Alan Taylor directed one of my favourite ever pieces of television, uh, which is the first episode of Mad Men, and which is possibly the best first episode of anything ever. Yeah. So on on TV, he has a kind of so it's it's, it's very strange. His his career as a director, he uh, as a movie director, he directs a movie called Palookaville, which I'm not familiar with. He then directed. Um, a version of The Emperor's New Clothes that starred Ian Holm in 2001, which I know about because it was a film for production, uh, which was my previous employers. Then he directed a movie called Kill the Poor, um, which uh, starred David Krumholtz. Um, and so, like, kind of three low-key movies. Um, and then... Three low-key movies? <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. That's, that's what he eventually his, got yeah, to. Then his fourth low-key movie. <laughs> Whereas on TV, he started off directing episodes of Homicide Life on the Street, Oz, Sex and the City. Um, he directed a bunch of episodes of The Sopranos, a couple of West Wings, Deadwood, uh, an episode of Lost, um, four episodes of Mad Men, as you mentioned, Seb, Boardwalk Empire. And then the reason, really, I think, why he got hired for for The Dark World hmm. is that he he really got a lot of attention on the second season of game of thrones so game of thrones when does that start 2011 yeah so he's yeah i think he's getting this film kind of on the back of his early work on that um he directed the last two episodes of season one of game of thrones uh and spoilers for season one of game of thrones but the ninth episode of Game of Thrones, Baylor, which he directed, is the episode where Sean Bean is killed. And I think probably there was not a, like, a more high-profile episode of television that year than than that. Um, and, and I kind of feel that like anyone who was involved with Game of Thrones at all at that point was kind of getting a bit of buzz. I mean, Michelle McLaren was, was being linked to movies eventually. It didn't quite work out for her in terms of getting one of these big ones. Um, but yeah, Alan Taylor, I think the fact that he had big screen experience before the fact that he had, uh, such a kind of like 
a, a career of working on good TV shows. I mean, you know, when you when you talk about The Sopranos and Mad Men and West Wing and Deadwood, you're talking about you know some of the key texts of the golden age of TV, there, aren't you? So <laughs> the golden age. No, that's a that's yeah, a that's thing. A, that's a phrase people use. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, People who weren't around for Dennis Potter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. But then you watch this film and you watch Terminator Genesis, which is... <laughs> I don't watch Terminator Genesis, uh, I'll tell Ter- you that. <laughs> Terminator Genesis, I think, is perhaps the worst blockbuster of the of the past 10, 15, 20 years. I, I, I want hate, to disagree I, with that. I honestly, I've I've seen few movies as incompetent as Terminator Genesis. I think if you're going to make a Terminator movie, just go, yeah, okay, let's make it completely insane. It doesn't have to make any sense because it's all about time travel could, and could you not, robots. Could you not say, let's make it good? They've tried making it good and what you end up then is Terminator Salvation. Uh, which is a better movie than Terminator Genesis. Nah. But I, I mean, uh, Terminator movies can disappear forever, <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, we're here to talk about Thor: The Dark World, and I said on the mini side last week to you, James, like I was kind of interested in going back to see this because <laughs> I, I think you said something similar, Seb. Like the first time watching this, I remember thinking, "Yeah, there's fun bits. Like, yeah, there's, like there's 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 lots of stuff that doesn't work and is dull." But I had in my head. Oh, there's lots of fun stuff with Cat Dennings, and by the when they get to Greenwich, it becomes really fun there. Um, and I got none of that this time at all. <laughs> no, I can is... think of I can think of one moment in this film that made me kind of genuinely smile rewatching it. And how many of the how many moments even came close that didn't involve Cat Dennings? Well, no, the the one that did actually didn't involve Cat Dennings, which surprised <laughs> me, which was. Uh, when Loki says "Ta-da!" when the ship has gone through the thing, um, and and as the ship's crashing, he, and he just goes "Ta-da!" and that made me laugh, and that was about it. Um, I don't have any qualms about saying that this is the worst movie in the MCU. I I'd agree. I wouldn't have said that before going in, but having revisited Iron Man two for the podcast, and and even Hulk, and then having revisited this, I mean Iron Man two is definitely a far superior film to this. Hulk, I'm not sure about. But it I is. think it runs close. But... I don't know. I think I think Hulk might be worse, just because no one in Hulk is as watchable as the cast of this film. Well, that I think that I think that's true. Yeah. But everything that's good about this film is stuff that is good in Thor, but not as good. I was, yeah, was going to say everything. Everything that this film does good is done better elsewhere. Yes. Whether that is. Stuff with Thor, which has been done better in two other Thor films. Stuff with Loki, <laughs> which has been done better in two other Thor films and an Avengers film. Uh, funny stuff, which has been done by Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant Man. Um, space stuff, which has been done by Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like it's... You know, Guardians of the Galaxy comes along the next year and renders anything interesting that this film might do completely irrelevant. The, the thing is, I think this this film and, and this is why for me it's the worst. Um, forget about it not having anything to say or anything thematically interesting going on. For me, at least The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 have, like, they have an identity. I know what they're trying to be and I know what they want to be about. I watch the first scene of this movie and I go, 
oh, you want to be kind of like a high fantasy Lord of the Rings style. So like the first film kind of goes Shakespeare in Asgard and then fish out of water stuff on Earth. Mm-hmm. And then this one you go, okay, so you want to be like high fantasy. I get that. But then we're kind of cutting to then scenes of Thor on the battlefield where like it's kind of undercutting the kind of high fantasy stuff there. And then we cut to Earth and we're having knockabout comedy scenes with uh, Chris O'Dowd, who's not allowed to be funny, and then, like, (laughs) Stellan Skarsgård running around Stonehenge naked. Um, And then we we cut to, like, um, Natalie Portman kind of in, like, a haunted house movie for five minutes where she's being dragged into... And there were like horror elements going on, and, and like I, I was just, I, I was struck by like like how tonally uneven it is from scene to scene, and that I continues did, like, the whole way through the movie because it's never like when you get to a funny moment, oh that's well integrated with the rest of the scene. It's like no, now we will pause for thirty seconds and do comedy, and then back to stone face stuff with either Malekith or the Ro- <laughs> again because like at times you think that this film wants to be a sweeping like Romeo and Juliet style romance with. Thor and um, Jane and like Odin trying to keep them apart or you think it's going to be this like bickering road trip between Thor and Loki but it it doesn't spend enough time in one place to become anything and it flits between them so fast I'm just like what is this movie and in the end what it is is a really dull entry in the MCU (laughs) I mean I sort of place the blame at Alan Taylor's feet because I think Admittedly, he was hired at fairly short notice, wasn't he? Well, so, I mean, famously, Patty Jenkins was going to direct this movie. And and it was implied that Natalie Portman was instrumental in getting her involved. And then I think, so you can imagine that some of the Thor and Jane stuff was maybe more integral in an early draft. And then Alan Taylor came in and they kind of reworked it. And you end up with this kind of, like, yeah, like I say, like, movie that feels like it's got a bit of everything, but a yeah, lot of nothing. Yeah, well, this is this was going to be my point, which is I think Alan Taylor is probably a guy who's good at turning scripts into passable action sequences. And, like, you know, his TV work, he's not working with idiots. Like, he's working with, a, you know, yeah, on the best TV shows around. So if he can just turn a script into a piece of competent television, of course he's going to look like he's got a good CV. Um, I think the problem comes when you give him, like, overall stewardship of the story, he probably is still working on a TV level. And I can sort of imagine that Marvel gave him this script and workshopped it with him, but he didn't have the creative vision to turn it into the next level thing. He was just literally being a, you know... Well, I mean, director. You look at the screenplay credits on this movie. Uh, <laughs> just like how how does it? Yeah, how does it so, turn out like this? Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who are the screenwriters um, of all of the Captain America movies, so they've <laughs> they've written First Avenger, Winter Soldier, um, Civil War, uh, Civil War, and now the two. Uh, Avengers movies that are upcoming Infinity War. I mean, how do you have this script and Winter Soldier script back to back in in your scene? Well, because because you imagine, given no, all, given all of those, that they didn't it's not that actually it's really script. work. But I I don't <laughs> think they actually like I, don't, I I doubt 
I imagine they probably wrote an early script for this and then whatever happened after that happened because the other screenwriter uh, attached was Christopher Yost, uh, who um, prior to this hadn't really wrote a feature film. Um, he was a no, screenwriter. I mean, he was, he'd, he'd been around the block in comics quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, um, uh, but on, on screen he's written Matt Steele, was one of the credited screenwriters of Thor Ragnarok and um, the upcoming Silver and Black upcoming um but then there are story by credits for uh don Payne, who uh wrote he wrote in the first movie and i wonder whether that's maybe why uh the late don Payne. i should also uh add who died um shortly after or maybe slightly before this film was released but he wrote um current fantastic four rise of the silver surfer my super ex-girlfriend and then there is another credit which is robert rodat uh who uh, his credits the are sa- Saving Private Ryan. Yes, but also uh, <laughs> the Patriot, and then nothing until Thor: The Dark World. Um, he came out of retirement for one last job. I mean, oh, it looks like he wrote Falling Skies, which was the Spielberg-produced uh, TV show. I, I know that these films do, you know, they will tend to have certainly yeah. more than one screenwriter, but you look at that combination. And it, and and hiring a director like Alan Taylor, who does you know doesn't seem to have been hired for a vision, but just to to do the job. And again, like, after every... after we know the Patty Jenkins involved, yeah. And it's like this film oh, feels just like it's just a contractual obligation for everybody. Like it's there's I don't think there's anything egregiously bad about this. I don't think there's a moment in this film where I go, oh, that's really stupid, or you know, <laughs> the plot's being awful, or anything like that. It's certainly I do think no it's... mute. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I think it's got a problem with the villain, but even the problem with the villain, I don't think is, oh, he's ridiculous and awful. It's just that he's, you know, he so doesn't want to be there. Um, he is and... he is Marvel's version of Steppenwolf. I think he's worse than Steppenwolf. Almost. No, I don't think he's worse than Steppenwolf. He's just... Because, because, because yeah, Eccleston... Eccleston there are a couple of moments where Eccleston is almost trying, and and Christopher Eccleston almost trying is good because it's Christopher Eccleston. But um, have you just... have you read Chris Eccleston's comments about this movie literally within the last couple of weeks? Yes, I have. Because what I thought was fun was actually to compare what he said about it recently. He also said something similar back in November. He talked about it and how he said that Marvel had been dishonest and lied to him about how much makeup was going to be involved. Hmm. Um, And he was annoyed that they cut out a lot of the backstory of the character because what I find interesting is if you go on the Wikipedia page for the film, um, and you often get this when when you have the cast lists on Wikipedia, they'll pull quotes from the actors talking about their characters um, during what is obviously during junket interviews. Um, mm. And this is this is Christopher Eccleston talking about Malekith. Um, see if you if you recognise any of this as anything that made it anywhere near the film. There is kind of a tragic quality to his quest because he's lost his wife, he's lost his children, he's lost <laughs> everything, and he returns for revenge. And the agent for his revenge is the ether. If he gets hold of that, he's omnipotent. What I thought about a great deal was revenge. There's huge amounts of revenge. One quote is, when you seek revenge, be sure to dig two graves. I did a film called Revenge's Tragedy where I played a guy called Vindici from the word vindictive, and he's the distillation of revenge. So in a way, that was what I had to think of, how revenge can make you absolutely monomaniacal, though you're still trying to make it recognisably motiveless. It's just the personification of movie evil. 
Uh, he also goes on to talk about the invented language for the that they gave Malekith, which I think is the most pointless thing that this film does <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah. The Elvish language is definitely based on European languages. I think there's probably some Finnish in there. It does have its logic and its rhythms. It also has many syllables, and it's very difficult to redu- to do while remaining naturalistic. It's been a particular challenge for us, but hopefully it gives the film some complexity and variety. Now, there is a man who, for all of his grumpiness in a lot of interviews, knows how to do a junket interview. And, and say something about a film to try and be vaguely positive about what was a horrendous experience that he didn't want to do with a meaningless nothing of a character. Well, I mean, let's let's now, Seb, read his quotes from the last week. Yes. <laughs> Working on something like G.I. Joe is horrendous. I just wanted to cut my throat every day. And <laughs> Thor, just a gun in your mouth. Gone in 60 <laughs> Seconds was a good experience. Nick Cage is a gentleman and a fantastic a- actor. I agree, Christopher. But G.I. Joe <laughs> and Thor were... I really paid for being a whore those times. So what I actually do like about those quotes is, like, I kind of read it and I was like, yeah, but Eccleston, you did the... Like, you you must have had some idea. And then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I was, I was whoring myself out for the cash. Uh, which is... I mean, and yeah, and he's admitted that. Um, but it's just, you know, you can do these films for the cash... And still have fun with them, and that's I think that's my issue is that you know he's he's playing a villain in a superhero film that is generally a fun thing to get to do, and and it's usually the characters you know it's usually the characters where actors get to have the most fun. Also, you know it's not like he's above this kind of film because you only have to look at the fact that people like I don't know we talked about <laughs> Anthony Hopkins sleepwalking through Ragnarok a bit, but you've got Anthony Hopkins. Look at Glenn Close in Guardians of the Galaxy. Look how much fun you know as distinguished an actor as Kate that Blanchett has with that Ragnarok. small part. Kate Blanchett. Hopkins, but, you know, is, Hopkins is bad in this. Yeah, I mean he's, he's worse than Ragnarok. Here. Uh, yeah, but in, Rag- in Ragnarok, he knew he was turning up for a couple of scenes, then buggering up. Like, yeah. he, 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 yeah, he feels so. I mean, there are a lot of the cast members here who don't feel very invested. Mm. I mean, I, we, we talked about Natalie Portman before. Um, I completely empathize. I, I can imagine if I thought I was going to work with Patty Jenkins and there was going to be a vision to a movie, then I turn up and it's a hodgepodge of all these different things. And, like, for half of the movie, she's just getting carried along as she's a like she's unconscious. Ves- yeah, for as about a, forty minutes of it. as a vessel <laughs> as a vessel for an infinity. Me too, stone. surprisingly. Uh, it, yeah, I, so I I don't blame her in any way, but you know when you've got a movie with like so many members of the cast feeling like they don't want to be there, um, it it does kind of rub off on you as an mm. audience member. And I mean, I, I would look at the opening scene of this movie as just because I can imagine that there were versions of this script that were more focused and were more like, I can imagine there was a version of the script that Chris Eccleston read where all of that stuff was in there. But basically you watch the opening sequence and, and uh, Anthony Hopkins says, you know, uh, one day there was the dark elves. Yeah, like, okay, right, <laughs> great. And he and he's just like, and they wanted eternal night because they're evil. And that's Ed, like for one way or another, that's what he says. The mm-hmm. movie basically opens by telling you, like, and at one time there were villains who had no motivation, <laughs> and they will continue to have no motivation. But ah, wait, this time we have an Infinity Stone MacGuffin. And again, I got a lot of stick for saying this last week, but I love Doctor Strange and I love the way that Doctor Strange takes the time stone in Doctor Strange where it has an infinity stone at the center of it, which... 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's pivotal to the final showdown of the movie, but it threads the concept of time and like the, the both like the the gift of the time stone and like the the kind of like the sad inevitable like you know time destroys everything kind of thing it into into the machinations of the plot in doctor St- in doctor strange even, and like even his watch yes even his watch um but you know it is concerned with that all of the time and even the action sequences look like they're taking place in a clockwork ro- world uh, that that is a movie that has gone. Okay, we've got a muffin, a MacGuffin to, uh, or a muffin. We've got a MacGuffin to deal with. Let's try and integrate it. The ether is just there in this movie, and I think actually when I think the tipping point for like people growing tired of Infinity Stones is this movie right here because it's there and there's no other real point to it. Like I don't think people cared too much that there was an Infinity Stone in Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy because all of the other stuff was so fun but i think the fact that thanos had turned up at the end of avengers and we now knew that infinity stones were going to be the kind of the big thing moving forward and it wasn't just nerds that knew that the cosmic cube or the tesseract was a infinity stone in, <laughs> the, in phase film, one the, the post credits is the Everyone first time that infinity stone is said in the marvel films though isn't it and the first time that it's confirmed that the tesseract is one yeah, possibly, but I think that the, the Avengers was such a huge movie that by that point, every like it, it was it was culturally big enough. And yeah, and then you say it at the end of the movie, and people are like, "What? Okay, oh, so if that's what Infinity Stones are, I really don't care because the ether is just crap. It's really, really crap. It doesn't like it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to like mean anything other than it's got power like i can kind yeah, well, that's, of okay this. that's one of the th- things is that when the infinity stones were like announced by this film i remember going through and thinking like okay so the tesseract obviously the space stone yeah the ether is like i think it's I the reality on, is it I settled on power stone but yeah it is the reality stone and it's like 
do you really get that from this film? Like, what's this got to do with reality? Just no. nothing. And it and it doesn't it doesn't feel like even when Mal. So you think of Ronan when he's got the Infinity Stone. That seems like quite scary. And when you and when you have like the Care Bears moment, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, like <laughs> you you feel like that that is something with infinite power. But Malekith controls the Reality Stone, and he seems to be able to. Kind of not Thor over if he it just it just kind of supercharges stuff, doesn't it? It supercharges yeah. its his ship. It makes him more powerful. It basically it's almost exactly the same as the the orb power stone yeah. in in Guardians, but well, that's it why can't I, be the that's power stone because the orb the is the power stone. stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like people's and like it's it's handled so carelessly. I mean, like I really did laugh at the start of the movie. Like I watched the start of this movie and then had to rewind because he was like. And then, with the Infinity Stone gone, Malekith realised he needed to kill all these people. I was like, "Wait, where did it go? When did who? When did it get? Oh, it was just nabbed through the Bifrost. That seems kind of crap. <laughs> like that's how easy it is to take. <laughs> and I mean, like, there's a scene in this movie where Thor basically goes like, ah, you, c- I, I'm going to risk this Infinity Stone just to just to get it out of Jane." We're going to risk it falling into the hands of a villain who wants to use it to destroy the whole world. I mean, like if that was one of the other Infinity Stones, you kind of like you think, Thor, don't, don't do that. She's not worth it. <laughs> You're going to write her out in one movie's time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Infinity Stone is bad, but there are some people who defend this movie. We, we, <laughs> if anyone wants to listen back to our um, thought bubble special, I was thinking about did. playing it in actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Should we should we play in Harry's defense of this movie on our thought bubble special? Yeah, our, our, our listener and friend Harry, who uh, this is his favorite MCU film. Yes, and he tweeted us this week saying how excited he was. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> Let's make up for it by playing in you defending this film. Um, so, Harry, we thought we'd ask you just to just to tell us a little bit about your favourite comic book movie. All right, uh, my favourite comic book movie is Thor Two: The Dark World. Wow. Okay, that's we might have to sit down. We might be here a little little while while you explain that. No, one. but so I, I, I'll please, be honest. Please, someone someone says reasoning. like Guardians of the Galaxy, Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, okay, I get it. I've I've heard the reasons why before. No one has ever said that, so I'm very much intrigued <laughs> to hear what you're going to say about Thor Two. Well, uh, obviously, uh, the Thor movies are the best MCU movies. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if by Thor you mean Captain America, then yes, they are. Yes. I mean, yeah, no, I'll, I'll grant you. No, I mean, Captain America, the movies are the better movies, objectively. But the Thor movies are the ones that sort of more most commit to that, yeah. <laughs> to that world. And Thor 2 The Dark World is the, not a good movie. <laughs> But it is my favourite because it's so, like, commits to being dumb and, like, has great relationships in it. And it's funny, you know. Commits to being dumb. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like that argument. It's, it's got the, the best bad guy in the MCU. Okay. Uh, okay, you is, are talking Loki. about Loki and not Malachi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Poor Christopher Eccleston. Poor Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I like any movie that has Christopher Eccleston in it because it means Christopher Eccleston is getting paid. And, you know... I think we all we yeah. all can support that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I can't <laughs> say I understand, but but it's a reasonably yeah. compelling case. Wait. So hang on. What was the argument? It was commits to being dumb. That yep. was the. And yeah. I think I think you know when you go to see a superhero movie, there are obviously ones you watch when you want to like see a really good movie. 
and there are ones that you watch where you're like, you know what, I just want to watch... It's like reading a dumb comic book, you know, or like a good dumb comic book. And it's right, there's a there's a vast world of difference between favourite and best. Yes. Yeah. But that that was... So that was Harry <laughs> defending the movie. Um, I was going to say, why don't we try and come up with something we liked about the movie? You just want to talk about Cat Dennings. <laughs> I will graciously then, go last. I was surprised that there was there was less of her being good in this than I thought. Yeah, because you would think film. if if they wanted to make this movie better, you think the obvious way to do it would be add reshoots with Cat Dennings where she makes more jokes. And they clearly didn't do that because there are big chunks of the film that she's not even in. I don't even think she's that good in this. Ah, uh, come on. How space? Space is good. I... I think she's again. I think it's like a, it's like a diminished version of what she was doing mm. in the first movie. I, I think and I like, was, who I was did... misremembering more of her funny stuff. The joke of her having her own intern is hilarious. No, right. So here, who, that guy? It feels like he's won a competition to be in this movie. Ian, it, I, I, right. The joke of her having an intern is funny, and then the intern should disappear. Because, like, he gets scared off by the Aoife stuff. He yeah. shouldn't be in the whole movie. And he <laughs> contributes have you know that the actor who nothing. played Ian was in 50 episodes of Dream Team. The Sky One <sighs> drama about a Premier League football team. I don't, he, he I don't even... Between the Simpsons and Buffy. Actually, I'm... looking at it, he was in it from 2005. So he was in it when it had gone... I mean, it was always shit. But he was in it when it went really shit and nobody watched it. I don't want to I don't want to criticise the actor himself. Because, again, this is such a thankless and terrible role. He could well be a good actor. But in, in this, I honestly, I had the vibe. I, I had forgotten that he was in this movie. And I've seen this movie more than once. Um, I mean, I forget he, Chris he, I really did. I really time. did think... He, yeah, but that... Chris O'Dowd in like I'd, one I'd scene and has a cameo later. Yeah, but he's like, a fairly big name. But th- this guy, I for, he's a character throughout the entire movie. <laughs> like start to finish, he's in a lot of it. And yeah, like I, I kept coming back to like, when did they run this competition? Could I have entered? <laughs> I, I would have liked to have been introduced as Kat Denning's new love interest. I was going to say. I would have kissed Scott Dennings for winning a competition. <laughs> James, you are not allowed within 50 metres. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Uh, and so, I, uh, James, I know you love Darcy. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I thought I even, fine. I actually thought that all the Mew Mew stuff came from this film. And oh, no, there's no, just, there's only just, one just the one, one callback at the end. Film. And I was like, oh, that's all in the first one. Oh, so even that thing that I thought was the best thing about this film is I actually think it. that joke where they do the callback, I think, is really laboured. <laughs> that's the one line I don't like. I, yeah, I was, was like, why, did, why didn't she make that joke at the start? Yeah. Again, yeah. So, you know, when you talk about liking these little moments when you first saw it, uh, or uh, and and I think that... I did as well. I liked lots of little moments. It's so a kind of walks away going, huh, yeah, never like peppy fun Marvel movie, not quite like as funny or as good as Iron Man 3, but it was all, it was all right. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, and watching it back, I think the moments that you end up liking or thinking, huh, they are, they're, they're one to two second gags. It's not like a sequence or it's, and it's not a scene. Mm. It is, Thor hanging up his hammer and and the kind of like 
eyebrow raised expression of, of Thor at that moment. Um, uh, when I first saw it, I thought the Captain America cameo was really funny. It was unexpected and lo- like the joke of Loki doing that is fun. <laughs> that line watching, is watch- like, feel the righteousness surging. Yes, That's but watching it back, I couldn't help notice how clearly Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans weren't on set together. Like it, it, it is so obvious. Like it's so obviously CG'd uh, together that I, I, yeah, the way the light I think was reflecting off Chris Evans didn't feel right. Um, the thing is, like I think this movie, like the first time you watch it and when it's all new, it gets by on sort of its little charming moments. Yeah, because I think and, most and I think the goodwill went, oh, of the MCU so at that point. And then the more you rewatch it, the more you go. Uh, what the hell's going on here? Like, I reviewed this and gave it three stars, which at the time was, like, the low end of Marvel. Like, I gave mm-hmm. Iron Man 2 three stars as well. And I genuinely mm. think I would have gone sort of two max for this uh, if yeah. I'd been able to watch it a couple of times. It, like, it is uh, a two-star movie. Coming off of The Avengers of Iron Man 3, again, I like, I kind of feel like the comedy stuff in here... Uh... <sighs> I mean, well, I say the Avengers Iron Man 3, obviously you can put Captain America the First Avenger before that as well. Probably the three greatest movies Marvel will ever make back to back. Um, and, and, you know, the Avengers Iron Man 3 had brought the comedy to the MCU. Like, there were funny bits before, and obviously Iron Man was there, but, like, the kind of weed and quippiness, and then the, Sh- and then the Shane Black humour had stepped things up a notch, and it it feels like there was kind of almost like an edict to try and make this movie funnier. But actually, as we said, James, like when you actually go back and watch the first Thor movie, it's not like it's funny the same way that the Avengers and Iron Man 3 is, but the fish out of water stuff in New Mexico is mm-hmm. is genuinely, mm-hmm. it's it's fun. And it's an ongoing joke because the funniness comes out of the, the plot and the situation that you find the character in. There's, there's and, nothing in this film that's as funny as this drink, I like it, another. Yeah, exactly. And and the, that film finds a way to balance Thor being funny because it makes sense that he's funny because he's doing, he, you know, he's in a world that he doesn't understand. But it mixes it with the drama because he's trapped on this world he doesn't understand and he's been sent there to be humbled. This movie just goes, we need Thor to walk around being angry for most of the time. And it doesn't, this movie, more than any movie featuring Thor, doesn't allow him to be funny. Mm. It, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. The humor, the humor is not Chris Hemsworth. The humor is like Loki's bits and like and and like you know sight gags like. But the that's actually that's he, something that we talked about with Thor Ragnarok, wasn't it? That Thor Ragnarok feels like the first time they like fused the kind of jockish, dickish Thor with the funny Thor. Mm. And in this movie, they've like, they kind of gone, oh, well, he's, you know, he's grown as a character, so now he's boring. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. because he's the hero and because, yeah, he's not the the immature guy from the first film, he yeah. has to just be this lump at the middle of the film. And it's like, God, it's such a waste of Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this film does not know how funny an actor Chris there Hemsworth There were stretches as well. I mean, when, when the prison break sequence is going on, I mean, Thor kind of turns up like he flies over and starts fighting, but obviously the Warriors 3 are there and Loki's there in the cell. And I was thinking, there are large stretches of this movie that Thor is just absent from. 
like you know, there's 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 stuff going off on the side with uh, Natalie Portman. Obviously, you have the the Frieger scene in in the middle as well. And I, I was kind of thinking about 45 minutes in, I was like, this doesn't feel like a Thor movie. It feels <laughs> like an Asgard movie where <laughs> Thor is kind of there. And like the big, the big dramatic scenes, all of the conflict in the movie are between other characters. Like Thor and Malekith don't have any connection. Not even Odin, it's Bor. <laughs> Bor, the most aptly named character. <laughs> Tony Curran from Daredevil Season 2. Um, <laughs> it, but there, there's no, like, Thor doesn't have conflict for any characters until he meets back up with Loki. And, like, then, and, and to get them back together, you have to fridge Frigga beforehand, don't you? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which... Sorry, I just, I, I, just before you go on to that, I genuinely didn't know that was Tony Curran there because I was like, "Oh, it's Tony Curran. Oh, he was Vincent Van Gogh in Doctor Who. He was really good." I, I didn't uh... know that until he turned up in Daredevil, and uh, yeah. I was like, "Ooh, MCU trivia." Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah, let's get on to that whole needlessly fridging character thing. Yeah, uh, because I, I I remarked on Twitter, and I know some of this is due to unfortunate circumstance, but uh, Thor the female characters who never appear again. And I know Sif has been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that doesn't count because, as as has been discussed a lot by you guys recently, uh, we've decided that the TV universe actually isn't canon. Um, <laughs> so in this film, you've got Frigga, Darcy, Jane, and Sif, mm. all of whom, unless <laughs> I'm mistaken, haven't appeared in another film since. I had not yeah. noticed that, but yeah, you're correct. That is a real bad luck. Yeah. Yeah, you are absolutely. And as I say, right. I know, I know, you know, in Natalie Portman's case, Natalie Portman doesn't want to do the films anymore. Fair enough. And I know with with Jamie Alexander, they have had scheduling issues. But even so, yeah. No, if if they hadn't had scheduling issues, she would have brought been brought back to be killed. To be killed off in Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, but even even Lady Sif in this movie. Um, I mean that's that's another thing that this movie does worse than the first one. The Warriors Free, uh, the, oh God, I, in a movie called Thor, I, I'm I'm always slipping between my th and thus. The Warriors Three um, are, are in the first movie kind of fun, and that scene when they pop up on Earth is kind of fun. And Lady Sif, there is this like bubbling tension under the surface where like, oh, does yeah, but she likes Thor. Um, they're meant to be together, and. This movie kind of goes like early on, like oh, can we brush that under a rug so we don't have to actually deal with it? Let's just leave them all behind on Asgard, and we'll go off and do other stuff. Um, and it, and, it, and and none of them come off very well. And like Lady Sif, just she, she I, I think she fares the worst of them because she just comes off being like, and that post-credit scene, she just comes off as being like a. Like a real stone-faced buzzkill, you know. Um, yeah, and I, and I feel sorry for Jamie Alexander, who I think um, is is pretty good in the first movie, and uh, I think there's a reason that like fans generally liked that character more than the rest of them. Um, I, I, I would I would have always been happy to see Lady Sif come back and remain a part of the MCU. There is, there is just, yeah, I mean, because I, I, I was wondering about this from watching her in this, because I, I remember kind of definitely thinking, oh, you know, this is a this is a character they could do more with. She's really cool. I think it's partly that at that point we were maybe more lacking in 
those characters than, than we are increasingly now. Yeah. But I think I think in relatively short screen time, the character's got a good look. She does have per- she has kind of has personality and kind of has a distinct personality. Um, she's got charisma. Jamie Alexander plays her well. It's like you you can imagine that character being good fun over a longer period of screen time and, and having a good dynamic with Thor without necessarily being a love interest. It's like, I think it's not so much anything that she really does in either of the films so much as, oh, okay, you can see the potential for that here. She's um, got a presence. She definitely has a presence. Yeah. And I think she, in the first movie, interacts well with Loki as well. Um, mm. But yeah, you're right. And and let, let's get to Frigga, who... And again, you can see, like, with what they want to do with the plot of this movie, why they've killed her. Because they want to have a reason for Thor and Loki to team up and and to put Loki on some kind of redemption path um, to a degree. And how do you get Thor and Loki to team up and leave Asgard? And the answer is kill Frigga. But then, and because like I, I think the the stuff in the first movie, I do remember that relationship being that having a bit of potency, the the Frigga and Loki relationship, and like Frigga having to explain to Loki why Odin was the way he was. Um, but and, and you know, and it obviously gets rekindled in the first acts of this movie, but it's all in service of basically. Thor and Loki teaming up for one scene and then Loki fake dying and going back to Asgard. So even even the kind of like the ends don't justify the means. I think I think you can be more creative than that. And it's almost as if the I I, I feel like the movie thinks that it's vindicated itself by giving Rene Russo like one badass fight scene before it happens. And it's that that's not enough, is it? That's not enough to just kill her off to motivate Loki and Thor. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely not. <sighs> I mean, I mean, was, the fight is quite a cool moment, like when she, you know, busts the sword out. It like, is, oh, it's cool. this is going to be cool. I oh, know, wait, she's dead. <laughs> yeah. But, you, you know, that's when you remember, like, that the Thor, the Thor franchise has Rene Russo, and it mm-hmm. has Idris Elba, and... <laughs> It has Punisher and it has Shazam. And you know, like it's got it's got some good actors and it's got some like people that they could be doing fun stuff with. And yeah, when I bet, you... I, yeah, after 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 not getting to be uh is it Fandral uh in the first film, yes. Zachary Levy must have been like, Oh yeah, great. And then it's like what, three lines of dialogue in Dark World <laughs> and, and killed off in Ragnarok. One, yeah. <laughs> 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 Which again is a shame because uh, similar similar to what we were saying about Sif, I I remember liking the Warriors Three throughout these films, but it is more sort of well, there's a dynamic there, and it's partly, you know, if you know them from the comics, you know, particularly, you know, you know what Volstag's like and stuff, and you can you can see what can be done with them, and the film never really gets around to doing it. It does a little, you do get some stuff with them in the first film, but um, yeah, it's I think I I think I have a a mental picture of how much they're in these films that's not actually reflected <laughs> yeah. by how much they actually are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately, who was better, the Howling Commandos or the Warriors 3? I'm going to go Howling Commandos, even though we only get about half an hour of them. 
Dum Dum Dugan and that Tash. <laughs> and they and some of them showed back up in Agent Carter, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Can you Which name one? any of the other ones? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Captain Marita. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Only because he I turned back up in Spider-Man there. Homecoming. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So yeah, so Frigga dies, and they go off on this quest together, where they bicker for a bit, and then they have a scene where they like do this trickery together. Thor and Loki. They pretend to be fighting. But Loki has double-crossed him by pretending to be alive. But again, I'm not sure. The f- the film kind of goes to... I-, I wonder whether there are reshoots here. Because there's the scene where Loki looks like he's sacrificed himself to save Jane. And is like being sucked up into that vortex. And Thor saves him at the last minute. And then he carries on fighting for a bit. Only to get stabbed. And kill the other guy. And then pretend to die. But I'm like... I, I get okay, he's a trickster god and he's pretended to die, but I don't understand in the like progression of that scene where Loki has tricked them. Like where where did where did he not die? When is he not there? Like how did how did he how did he do that? <laughs> there's always there's always a logic to his trickery normally. It's like we see the other version like yeah. ghost out or something. There is there's nothing here. <laughs> <laughs> And like, how how did he not get stabbed? It looked like he got stabbed, and because and and if he didn't get stabbed, how did he put that bomb thing on? And the answer is the movie doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It it just really it's, doesn't we're, care. We're back to the tube thing all over again. <laughs> yeah, I I think occasionally I kind of look at some of the some of the individual visuals in this movie and think, oh, that that looks quite cool i like i like the kind of the look of the dark world when they're there and i like some of the design like some of the lord of the rings inspired design of like malekith's people um i think the the kind of like white masked face of the dark elves is is quite creepy um that's uh, that's uh, Adewale Akinori Agbaje, isn't it? As Algrim slash Curse, um, and again, I, I, I thought he, I thought in both of his iterations he looked pretty cool, um, but I, I think he's an actor who is just like uh, like you know the prosthetics department's wet dream because you saw what they did with him in uh, Suicide Squad, and similarly here, I think <laughs> I think he wears it very well. Um, Again, not that they give the actor anything to do, um, but yeah, I, I kind of liked. And, and there was a couple of shots where like Malekith was uh, smouldering at the camera, um, which I thought looked cool. Uh, the actual character design of Malekith. I googled Malekith and I was like, that is not what he looked like. In it's the- funny actually, isn't it? Because about halfway through <clears throat> the film, they like burn off half his face as if to give him the kind of, you know. Uh, half and half coloration that he has in the comics. Yeah, but he looks a lot more. Uh, in some of the images I'm looking at, kind of feral, and it like. Uh, so he looks. He looks a bit more like a rock star, I guess, in a lot of the images that I'm looking at. Whereas in this, I don't know what he looks like. It's not. It's not interesting anyway. The thing is, he was never that big of a character in the first place like yeah, I find it strange that they chose him as the villain 
And, and like, just, he, just... he actually appeared in a lot of comics since the film. Right, okay. Because they went, oh, well, he's been used. Let's dredge him up. <laughs> but really, I don't think... He did. I don't think he'd appeared in any major capacity between me starting to read comics in the early nineties and this film coming out. <laughs> and I could, I could be completely speaking out of turn here because I haven't actually read many. But Thor strikes me as a as a character who does have quite a like varied and interesting range of villains that you could dig into from from all of the kind of like different from the nine realms that he interacts with. Yeah, yeah, plenty of villains. Uh, but we got Malekith. Mm. We yeah, we got a character no one really cared about, played by an actor who didn't really care about doing it. I think I just, I just don't understand the casting of Christopher Eccleston in this. I understand the idea of going, let's put Christopher Eccleston as the villain in a Marvel movie. That's quite interesting because Christopher Eccleston's a good actor with an interesting face who people know from Doctor Who. It's like all all of the you know the reasons you might put all the reasons you put Benedict Cumberbatch in a film <laughs> applied to Christopher Eccleston. You know, except I think Christopher Eccleston can possibly do a better American accent than Cumberbatch. Actually, I'm not sure I've heard him do one, but it can't be any worse. Um, but just to then put him, there is no reason for this character to be played by an actor. With with the strengths that Christopher Eccleston has, you're you're burying anything that makes him good by having him speak about three lines of English in the entire film. Uh, the rest, he's just delivering a made up language that you have to read in subtitles for no apparent reason. Um, and it, you know, it's not that I necessarily object to having to read subtitles in a film. What I object to is. This is a made-up language. We can't get any weight of meaning behind how any of these lines of dialogue are delivered. So it's just it's just chewing gum, you know. It's like you, you can't act <laughs> those those lines, and the, it's it's just um, and and you know he doesn't care. He's just not putting anything into the character. He's not adding any life to it. He's just there in season. It might as well be a different person who looks a bit like him underneath all the makeup for all that he actually brings to it. And I just, you know, for if that's what they were going to do with the character, I just struggle to think, you know, what was the process for deciding to cast him? Who who did he beat to this role? Um, and, you know, other than the money, why did he want to do it? <laughs> other than the money. You, well, yeah. You, you look at the constituent parts of this movie, though, and... It feels like there is a good movie in there. You know, like, I, I, I think kind of committing to a fantasy version of Thor with a sweeping romance in the centre of it between Hemsworth and Portman. Um, you know, if you, do, if, you, if you want to ignore the comedy side of Thor, that's absolutely fine. You've got a really strong cast, and then you've got a MacGuffin in the middle of it which distorts reality. And I think... You could you could do some really fun trippy visuals where you distort the where you kind of like meld together this fantasy world and our world and you show that you know with the with all the universes converging at the end. I think you could do some really fun stuff with that. And occasionally, I think in that final sequence, they do with the like the portals and people popping it. You know, because so they have a bit of comedy fun with like Thor popping out and turning up on the tube. Or like the fighter jets flying through Vattenheim, is it? Um, and 
you know, things popping out of one and and into another. I, I think you could, I, I think the movie could have done some fun stuff with that throughout. Because again, like the stone is supposed to <laughs> play with reality. And I, and I think with actually... just a, a bit of focus, there is, there is a good film to be made here. Have you noticed there's that line at the end where he's like, you know, everyone saw you defeating Malekith and saving the nine realms. And you're like, yeah, is that what happened? Well, I mean, but that is that is another wider problem of Thor, isn't it? That Asgard feels like a world that is a palace, a bridge, and there are no people in it anywhere else. <laughs> Similarly, the worlds that we visit, it feels like there is one field where they had a fight where Thor had a fight at the start of this movie <laughs> and then there are other worlds that are completely empty. Well that's the thing like they they speak as if the population of all these planets like saw Thor fighting and what we actually see is like a field with some fake huts in and an icy place and a, like volcanic desert and yeah. Greenwich. And, and like it, it from from what we know of the Thor universe just within the MCU like the ice giants where do they live is it is that Jotunheim yeah so they're not gonna just be like oh yeah Thor's great <laughs> um like sh- wherever Hela comes from is that like where's that that's a, that's a bad that's place right? nine realms is it not okay fair enough but anyway I just don't like I don't I didn't really understand at the start of the movie as well them saying like oh yeah Thor's just been he's been off uh, and this is just the final battle, and that battle will end all of the discontent in the Nine Realms. And, and what the Nine Realms is—they're ju- just pissed off because the Bifrost is. I don't really—I d- I don't really understand any. It all feels like a bit like uh, how did right, so the Avengers has happened now? We need to explain that Thor can get back to Earth. He needs to be able to get back to Earth, but he hasn't been able to see Jane as. Can we, can Even we do that, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because none of it, none of it makes sense. Well, because no. like she says, oh, you know, where have you been? And he's like, oh, I've been bringing peace to the nine realms. And then she's like, but you're in New York. And he's like, uh, you know, I've been uh, busy. Mm. <laughs> and like he spends all that time on Asgard, like watching her. Apparently, <laughs> like yeah. it takes him seconds to to fly there and be like, how's it going? Yeah, a, a, a setup where Thor can just go to and from Earth at will rather breaks pretty much all the plot. Yeah, especially Thor because Jane, they, you can see why they keep breaking that setup as much as well. They, can. they went to such lengths in Avengers to stick in those lines to say, like, you know, I can't just do this trip. Like, we had to do a lot of bad shit to get me here. Yeah, to get Loki. You, you've got. I. I. I think. In Thor Ragnarok, by destroying Asgard entirely, they have done themselves a massive favour because it's just, <laughs> it's just. I don't think they even could ever really work it out whether, like, it was like an uh, an uh, otherworldly, like, godly plane, or whether it was somewhere that you could fly a, sp- a spaceship from there to Earth. Yeah, like, and and I still, I'm not sure. Like between the the first Thor movie and this and the Avengers how Thor did actually get to Earth in the Avengers. Because I'm sure, like, the Bifrost was broken at the end of Thor, and he, and he can't... So the idea is, it is like, they are separate. But they hadn't thought of how that was going to work with the Avengers. So in the Avengers, they just kind of didn't address it. Well, in the Avengers, he says, like, something, something dark magic. 
And then at the end, he goes home using the Tesseract. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's after true. that, the Bifrost is just fixed. And it's like, okay, so why is it taking you two years to come back and see Jane then? Hmm. Again, I think the, I think the movie, the Romeo the movie and doesn't thing, care. Like, I think the, the Romeo and Juliet care. thing would have been a good hook for the movie. Like, yes. Yeah, of course it makes sense. Like, you know, two characters who can't be together because they're like families, air quotes, don't agree. Bring mm. her to Asgard, do the inverse of the fish out of water thing. Like that's yeah, and that's, that's, a, and that's, that's what relatable. You, that, that's what you think they're going to do for a moment, isn't it? Yeah. That like they've they've done the Thor on Earth movie. Now let's do the Jane on Asgard movie. Yeah, and that's but Jane's like on Asgard for twenty when she's Jane's the... on Asgard for twenty minutes. She's not really herself for most of the time, and then she has to disappear. Yeah, and that's like Natalie Portman's one fun moment when she's trapped at the table and she's like getting excited and nerdy about the quantum field generator thing. Yeah. Like, that's a cute little moment. Like, you could have filled a whole film with those, and instead they didn't. And I, and again, I, I, I said this when we did Thor. I think she's better in Thor than her reputation in the MCU kind of suggests. <laughs> but this movie, she's so checked out, and as I said, understandably so. Yeah, quite. Um, And yeah, I still don't blame her for leaving. I don't blame her for getting as far away from this as possible. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Idris El- Elba is still willing to turn up to get like fobbed off in this manner. Seb, there's a quote from Idris on uh, the Wikipedia page. In the new film, we're going to get to know Heimdall, Heimdall the Asgardian a bit better, and we're going and we're going to get to know Asgard a bit better. I can't say too much, but the expansion of Thor in his world is going to be huge. My part was very small and functional in the first film. Your part in the first one was bigger than your part in the second film. It all does kind of point towards the idea that this film was originally going to be probably pretty much entirely set around Asgard and and the mythology and building up a lot of that stuff. And instead, they kind of reduced that stuff to do more of the stuff on Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which, I, to be fair, I can't. I mean, while it does mean stripping out everything that that might have actually given given the film character, as someone who I'm not really into fantasy, and if you say this entire film is going to be a kind of you know fantasy and about dark elves, I mean, God, that you know that opening exposition just makes me think I don't want to watch this film. <laughs> and so, really, you know, while while it means sacrificing doing anything of interest with the Asgardian stuff. I do find myself every time it gets back to London, I'm like, oh, thank God, it's back in London now. <laughs> well, having said that, I think my uh, the the one thing that I do really love about this movie is Loki in jail. Um, I I I love his nonchalantness as all of the rioting is going on around him, and I and I kind of love the dishevelled, like drunken rock star visage of him when he you finally see how he how he's actually how he actually appears in his cell i re- i really like that and i think that hiddleston you know he's so at home in this character by the time this movie shows up apparently you know talking about re- reshoots to like bulk up certain characters apparently most of the reshoots in this movie were to bulk up loki's involvement <laughs> um which is not a surprise 
and as and as much as this movie seems like a hodgepodge, I'm I'm not disappointed that they did that because the Loki moments tend to be the respite in this movie. They tend to be the the way like, well, at least this is Thor and Loki hanging out. Yeah. That's kind. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I I almost do wish that we had a voice on this podcast, really defending it and saying what they like about this movie because there are people we mentioned uh how well, we we played harry's thoughts on the movie um like friend of the pod steve lacy tweeted me while i was watching it and said i've got a i've got more time for that film than a good number of films that succeeded it in the mcu which you know i i like steve respects his opinions on stuff like this but i i i can't get my head around it because i just <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I just I, I, went I, I in. come back to it. It hasn't, it hasn't got an identity. It isn't. I don't know what Thor: The Dark World is. I don't know. I don't know what reaction it wants to elicit from me. I don't know what it hopes to add to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know what it hopes to add to the Thor storyline because Thor has gained maturity by the end of the first movie, and the only thing that changes in his situation by the end of this is that he goes back to Earth, but we have to wait until the post-credits to see that anyway. Ah, why? Why was that in the post-credits? Like, do you think they put that in there because they were like, okay, she's not coming back, we need to resolve this storyline? <laughs> and mm. it's not even her. Is it not? I think, well, it must be her when you see her at the table, mm-hmm. but the kissing scene due to scheduling conflicts uh, <laughs> Natalie Portman wasn't available it's Chris Hemsworth's wife in a wig oh um <laughs> yeah. uh, what is her name I can't remember her name she is an actress she's in the Fast and Furious movies well she was Elsa Pataki Elsa, Elsa Pataki yeah, yeah. I, I interviewed her once on the red carpet for Fast and Furious 6 second Fast and Furious 6 ref of the podcast. <laughs> That's the, oh God, that was just one of the worst moments of my life. The same time where I, I uh, and the only time I interviewed Gal Gadot on the red carpet of Fast and Furious 6. And I was like, <laughs> and this is your third movie in this franchise, right? And she went, uh, fourth. Or something like that. I, I, I well, well done, wrong. Joe. You're the only person in the world that Gal Gadot did not have chemistry with. <laughs> <laughs> you say that i'm sure i'm sure when she was part of mossad she had some pretty terrible <laughs> chemistry with the people she killed <laughs> yeah let's cut that part out <laughs> why because mossad might come after us wonder woman killed people you guys <laughs> i want to distance myself from the comments of joe joe cunningham <laughs> that's mossad has never killed anyone who doesn't deserve it <laughs> Gal Gadot, it's the one. She's she's the one superhero. Where you're like, she's done more than this in real life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were we talking I about? Ro- Ro- I'm not sure. I trust Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he wouldn't be able to remember even if he did. Well, quite. Um. So yeah. So that's that's one post credit scene. I've skipped. I've skipped the post credit scenes now. The other one, the the one that Alan Taylor definitely did not direct, the collector scene. Um, I'm going to go out there and I, I, not particularly for its content, but for what it does, I think is one of the best post-credit scenes in the MCU. It's weird, right? Because so many it's... people get to that scene and they go, oh, it was so cheap looking, so stupid looking, Guardian's going to be shit. And I was sitting in the <laughs> cinema, like, my mind was blowing at the possibilities that it was I just think suggesting. it's, well, so when you were saying it's weird, right, I thought you were saying it's it's weird. It's a really weird 
minute long scene because you've got Benicio del Toro, who we knew had been cast, <laughs> but like looking at completely unlike anything that I'd expect him to look like. Um, you've got um, what's the name of the actress? Ophelia Lovibond, who plays the <laughs> who plays the like assistant girl, who is kind of like alien, but also robotic and you've got that weird girl in the in behind the cage and you've got the cocoon in the background <laughs> and I, I i watched that scene and was just like what i just wanted to know what was going on and you know I've, i i think it's a, a really smart way of you know and as of as well kind of like giving you some context going into guidance of the galaxy of like yeah, so it's it's kind of just like another place out out in Marvel's cosmic realm. They're, they're, they're just there's just loads of places out there. There's and it, it gives you, I think, like a slightly better idea of Marvel's universe. I think it's a really smart, functional post credit scene mm-hmm. that that gets you excited for a movie without showing you any of the major players in it. Yeah, but I mean, at yeah. the time, lots of people hated it, and it's it's, it's interesting great. to me in re- in retrospect that. We're watching it now and going, yeah, that's the coolest bit. I think it's it's partly. I mean, you know, you say you felt that at the time. I think obviously people would have looked at it and gone, it seems quite small scale, and it's you know trying to do this universe expanding stuff, but maybe it's small scale. You can look at it now and you can mentally picture the world outside that room because you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy and you've seen how expansive and beautiful that is. Whereas at the time. We didn't know what the world outside that room was going to look like. I mean, <laughs> Benicio del Toro is is hamming the shit out of it. But... <laughs> oh yeah. Just quickly, I just looked at my write up of the end credit scenes for um, Den of Geek that I did fourth or two, and what I've written here is uh, the Tesseract clearly represents the Space Stone, which gives the holder power to travel great distances and warp space. The Ether appears to be the Power Stone, which gives the holder access to unimaginable energy. So yeah. you're wrong. I was wrong Not for the first time <laughs> because the film was very unclear. <laughs> um, is there anything else in there that we want to pull out and say is kind of of particular interest? I mean, I guess the I guess the MCU has kind of done the job for us since and gone. None of it's of interest. Let's get rid of it all and do something completely different. Well, this is the thing. It's like it's something I was thinking earlier when when we were talking about Alan Taylor at the start and. You look back at the fact that they could have had Patty Jenkins do this, and I initially had a thought of, ah, well, you look at Wonder Woman, it's like, oh, think of what Marvel could have had if they'd had Patty Jenkins do this. And you know what? It doesn't matter. That's the thing about this film. It's just so inconsequential. You know, it wasn't a flop. It made an all right amount of money. It was fine. You know, it didn't damage the franchise in any way. But as soon as the next year came along and the two films that would immediately follow it, it was just so easy to forget that this existed. Um, and now Thor Ragnarok has fully done the job of going, this is what a sequel to Thor should be. This is an actual direction in which we're taking these characters now. Um, and it's and it's so far removed from what the Dark World does that, as I say, you know, I think I'd always thought before of, if you were going to look at one of the films as, and well, aside again, aside from Hulk, as being the one that you kind of skip over in your mind, it's Iron Man 2. But actually, Iron Man 2 
is doing some world building and I think yeah, as hello. we talked about has more going for it than I think people gave it credit for at first the time. Black Widow appearance. Yeah. So whereas this doesn't you know, this doesn't have anything that makes a lasting impression. And Iron Man two's a you know, it has an idea of what kind yeah. of movie it wants to be. It has an idea of what kind of story it wants to tell, what it wants to do with its hero. There's some stuff that's a bit shit in it. There's also Justin Hammer. Like, what's this movie's <laughs> Justin Hammer? Uh, it has a hammer. It has a hammer, but not the right one. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justin it's... Hammer. it's uh, the, the one thing that I was reminded of watching this movie was the... You know, we were talking about the Spider-Man films and that, you know, we've got, what, how many of them now? Six different Spider-Man films and we can kind of like say that we think like 90% of people would rank them in a pretty similar way. Like, and certainly for us, there's like a, there is like a pretty distinct order to them. Like, it's not even like you going, oh, would I put that one ahead of that one? Like, you look at the Thor films and you go, it is so demonstrably Ragnarok, Thor, than the dark world like that is the order of quality and there is like there is a distinct gap between each of them um just you you mentioning spider-man makes me think as well again coming back to the point about anything that this film that does is good has been done by other films even a funny brief chris evans as captain america cameo appearance has been done better by spider-man homecoming than it is yeah (laughs) absolutely Okay, well, I I think that brings us to the end of our Thor Ragnarok discussion. Um, do you guys have comic book recommendations for me this week? Um, I guess I I would probably. It probably comes down to reiterating some of the, the previous Thor recommendations. Um, you know, Thor: The Mighty Avenger. Um, if you didn't, if anybody didn't read it after the last Thor episode, then then that is magnificent. Um, I also I wonder if um, Comicsology have been doing a ridiculous. I think it has now ended. No, 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 it's still on. Still on the Marvel ninety nine cents collections. Yeah. Sale, mm-hmm. and you can get. Uh, oh no, no, the the older ones have gone because they're in my cart, but they've gone up to full price, so I won't be buying them. Um, but you can get both. You could get both volumes of Walt Simonson's Thor for sixty nine p each. It's now six ninety nine for volume one and seven forty nine for volume two. That's still pretty good value, actually, if you've never read them. I mean, Walt Simonson's Thor is. Pretty much the definitive Thor, although I hear people talking about Jason Aaron's recent run in, <laughs> in similar terms. All right. Well, James, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you should read Jason Aaron's Thor run because that. So I've been tempted to do this. Um, I've heard lots of good things, and um, I've liked bits of Jason Aaron that I have read. <laughs> so yeah, but I I, I imagine. Jason Aaron's Thor run goes like there's there's a lot of Thor stuff, isn't there? And then he, and then there's the who is new Lady Thor, and then Lady Thor takes over, and yeah. So he's been doing it for a while. Yeah, I mean the. Can I spoil who the Lady Thor is? Oh, I think yeah, everyone, everyone knows. knows. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone knows it's Jane Foster, and it was obvious from the yeah. start that it was Jane Foster. Um, yeah, they tried to briefly pretend it ugh. wasn't going to be Jane Foster. Yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting in its own right, but the, the version of Thor that I think is most interesting off the back of this movie is the run that preceded that, which is, um, Thor, what's it called? I think it might just be called Thor, God of Thunder. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, yeah, and that kind of takes Thor in the fantasy direction and does it well. Like, it's it a kind of sci-fi does... fantasy mixture in the way this film is, and I think that's why it is, you know, sort of appropriate for this film. There are storylines of... with Malekith out there, but I wouldn't recommend any of them, so... <laughs> The um, I seem to remember because I remember reading it when it started. The um, uh, Thor God of Thunder. That's the one where you had the three, yeah, ages the three of ages Thor, of didn't Thor, you? Yeah, and you had the young brash Thor that had never really been done in the comics before. That is mm-hmm. basically Chris Hemsworth in the first film, Thor. Yeah, and Excellent. then you've got confident present day mature Avengers Thor, and you've got Thor in the future where he's ruler of Asgard and he's basically Odin. Um, and like the three of them, it's like the story jumps between the three timelines. Um, and yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Really good art as well. It's um, Esad Ribic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so that was the comic book recommendations. Um, I'll now tell you what the pitch is going to be for the mini-sode next week. And I, I slugged, you know, through Thor the Dark World to try and think of an idea. But I've thought, well, I guess this movie introduces us to, like, some of the other nine realms. We go to the Dark World. And so what I was thinking is, which as-yet-unexplored Marvel world or location should be the setting for one of their future movies? So I imagine that that you guys have got about eight ideas already for that one. Does My Um, only question is, does it have to be with Marvel Studios? Or can it be <laughs> any Marvel? Well, I mean, James, Marvel are about to buy Fox, and they're working <laughs> with they're working with Sony. I don't think we need to be that pedantic. Okay, you can you can have whatever you like. Without the pedantry, we've got nothing, Joe. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know what James. Well, no, there's two that I think James's will be one of two, and <laughs> but I won't say until we come. You to don't do even it, know and... what Chandelier is. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he's not, the not best it, friend, is who he is. Not, not that it really matters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Chand- Chandelab. <laughs> um, not that it really matters what we do for the pitch anyway, because as has been demonstrated, I can have a really well thought out pitch with amazing <laughs> casting and, um, you know. Remember, I, Seb, I, don't let it turn into a bit. <laughs> don't let it become a bit. Again, so I've tried you... to stop it from being a bit. <laughs> well, if you if you'd have been there, then we, you know, I I I can confidently say that no one's ever going to win win the pitch if they're not there. <laughs> what about if Amon had actually got his Black Panther pitch? Oh well, wouldn't it? Yeah, we all know that would have won. That's like the great unseen. It's like uh, it's like the Nick Cage Superman movie, <laughs> can, or Sam we, Raimi's Spider Man Four. Yeah, we can, but we can, but imagine the the wonders that we would have experienced. Um, before the podcast ends, um, I I should probably have a quick talk about something that I'm sure a lot of you have already seen um, on Twitter and social media. Um, next month. I am going to be watching all 18 movies, uh, and that is 38 hours worth, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe back to back. Um, And I'm going to be doing that for um, Parkinson's UK. I am raising money on Just Giving. If you go to our Twitter feed, or if you go to my Twitter feed, it is uh, pinned at the top, and I'm kind of sharing it regularly. Um, 
to to briefly explain why, uh, shortly before Christmas, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and I was trying to think of what I could do uh, to raise money um, for the charity, because what they do is, uh, you know, Parkinson's is a disease that doesn't have a cure, um, and it's also a, an illness that kind of uh, people who suffer from it need uh, a lot of support. Uh, or certainly can because it is a degenerative illness. Um, so I am raising money for Parkinson's UK. Um, as said, I've got the profile up on Just Giving, and yes, um, I'm going to be doing this the weekend before Infinity War is released in cinemas, um, and it is going to be 38 hours straight of watching all of the Marvel movies. I'm going to be live tweeting the entire thing. So. If, you know, during the hours that you are awake over those 38 that I'm watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, um, you can follow along to those tweets. I'll probably storify the whole thing afterwards as well. I'm also going to, after the end of each movie, record a brief little podcast segment where I will be talking about the movie, but also what state I am in at that part of the adventure. <laughs> Just think, you're <laughs> going to be able to watch Thor 2 again quite soon. Yeah, I mean, that was honestly, that <laughs> it was only watching Thor 2 this week that it quite hit home what, I had, uh, what I'd let myself in for. Well, that'll be um, a good time for a little nap, you know, you're, you're going to need one. I, honest, I've, I've, I've I think when I'm, when I'm raising money for charity, napping would be um, bad, a bad thing to do. I mean, I am, you know, I'm, I'm wholly 100% behind this. I think it's, you know, and it's a fantastic cause that you're doing it for. And, and I hope you raise loads of money. I think it's going to be brilliant. But I mean, if you really wanted a challenge, rather than watching the 18 MCU films back to back, shouldn't you watch the DCEU films three times <laughs> back some, to back? I've already, I've already <laughs> had this. Would be a um, I've already had this suggested to me. So I did originally want to raise money for both Parkinson's UK and the Michael J. Fox Foundation, uh, which is, you know, kind of the US equivalent, which is a, a again, a charity. And, and obviously, um, Michael J. Fox is a person who was uh, very important in my pop culture upbringing. Um, All right, Ernest Klein. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, who knows? Maybe if this one goes really well, we can create a second version of this where <laughs> I do the DCEU and the Amazing Spider-Man movies Ooh. and the Fantastic Four movies and Spawn and Howard the Duck and you know, uh, no, listeners, you can't throw in any fun ones. No, do, do I have to skip Wonder Woman? No, you're allowed Wonder Woman. That's there it, that's there you. must be at least eighteen X-Men movies by now. I mean, we could. Uh, I mean, if we cherry picked the eighteen worst superhero movies, we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get to that. But I have to survive this one first. Um, so, at the time of recording this, uh, I launched this on Monday evening, and on Thursday evening, um, I've already raised three hundred and ninety-six pounds and seventy-three pence, um, which is incredible. And I, I know from some of the names that have popped up on the Just Giving page already that some people listening to this right now have donated. Um, and I cannot thank you enough for the support and like, you know, just like such speedy support as well. Um, it's still like over a month away. Uh, so yeah, uh, it means a lot and thank you very much. And as well for kind of all of the messages that have come in as well. Uh, it's been fantastic. So We'll probably keep mentioning it sporadically on the podcast between now and then. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it and dreading it simultaneously. <laughs> I'm looking forward um, to it. 
But uh, uh, the the thing that I'm most worried about is I I set an initial target of five hundred pounds, and I think I'm gonna have to add like stretch goals to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, I, I, so I'm gonna have to come up with like other things that I can do as part of this that that might keep wanting people to like making people still want to donate. Uh, maybe we can add the one shots in there. Maybe James, if you really want, we, we really want some punishment. I could like pop an agent of uh, Agents of Shield episode in say, there. There's an Agents of Shield tie into Thor two that you should probably watch. Oh god, no, I have watched that and it is bad. It's like Coulson, it, like the episode starts with Coulson going like, "Oh, we finally cleaned up all of the fallout from when Thor was in Greenwich. Let's get on with the next adventure." Yep. In a room that does not look anything like it's in Greenwich. <laughs> it's real bad. We were still watching Agents of Shield then. Yep. Uh, okay, so yeah, so so that that is my my um fundraising. Uh, I'll give you the URL. It's just giving just giving forward slash fundraising forward slash Joe dash Cunningham dash MCU. So you should be able to find it there. And yeah, any donations uh, are incredibly appreciated. And if if you can't donate, and I you know don't expect everyone to be able to. Um, just sharing the post and kind of letting more people know about it, I am told, is incredibly helpful. So that's that. Um, and that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, if you enjoy the show, then please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. I would like to thank Ben, ben Moore and Clay North for backing us this month. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much, guys. And um, Patreon listeners, we, we are sharing our upcoming list of movies, right? Or have we done that we, already we or are done, we going to? We have, we have done an update uh, and just a general update on the stacking up of, of bonus episodes that we owe Patreon that are on the way. Um, but yes, you'll ev- everything up to Infinity War has now been revealed to Patreon backers. Yes, because we still uh, haven't quite decided what we're doing after Infinity War. But yeah, no, there's there's a few a few ideas being thrown around. Um, we already listener... food spawn. <laughs> well, which is uh, uh, more than Sony did. did. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there might be a reason why we shouldn't follow up Infinity War with Spawn. Um, <laughs> a listener, Brad Thorne, tweeted me and said, "I've been watching all of the films ahead of the podcast for a year or so now." But Superman 3 and now this, meaning Thor The Dark World, the ultimate test. And I just said to him, I apologise for the next few episodes. We also got advance. a request from Will Jones for uh, Punisher 1989. Yeah, which we definitely should do soon. We haven't yeah. done a Punisher in a while. Um, I mean, to be fair, we, we probably wouldn't have done Thor 2 if it wasn't for the fact that we really want to get onto Winter Soldier and Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Yeah, and then we've done them all. Yeah. yeah. Again, I mentioned wow. that in the Patreon update, we will have hit the, and we'll we'll do it this year certainly. We'll hit the landmark of we will have done all the MCU films released up to the point at which we started the podcast. Still lagging behind a bit on X Men, but <laughs> we've we've There's hit reasons a, for that. <laughs> we've hit a snag that is not our fault. <laughs> uh, hey, okay. Batman Forever, right, guys? <laughs> So um, I apologise for the... You'll hear one of them in a minute if you stick around for the post credit scene of the podcast. I apologise for the next two episodes of this show. <laughs> we're gonna, we're certainly going to have more fun and more to talk about than we did on this episode. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe at cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, 
or you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm sure you guys got some great schemes in mind, which is why you nabbed me, all right? But I'm a bad girl, and I've got some nasty mutant tricks, so just back off. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Generation X. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.